Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Adam Patterson. This episode looks back on the highlights from November's Future of RPA event, where federal leaders discussed how the use of automation technology is streamlining and improving the efficiency of government services. Barbara Morton, the Deputy Chief Veterans Experience Officer at the VA, outlined how the use of RPA is leading to vast improvements in the delivery of care to America's retired service members. And one of our first portfolio areas that we developed was really leveraging real-time customer experience, data, surveys, and analytics. And since that time, we've we've really built the capability to what it is today. Uh, one of the things that we initially um, knew that we wanted to focus on is, is getting away from sort of lagging indicators of experience and really coming up to speed to meet the expectations of veterans, their families, caregivers, and survivors with what they experience outside of government, which is really giving real-time feedback. So when you get that real-time feedback, how do you process it? You can't do it manually. So the system that we've built, which we've, we've which is called V-Signals, Veteran Signals, um, is using an industry best-in-breed platform to gather those insights and data and using AI, natural language processing, to be able to bubble up sentiment so folks and users can see what veterans are telling us and sentiments that they're offering us to then translate those insights into action. So it really empowers us to focus on the right problems to solve for veterans based on their feedback by calling out a lot of the manual work or the, the lagging indicators that historically um, government has, has depended on. Ranjeev Mitu, branch head of information management and decision architectures at the Navy Research Laboratory, discussed the immense promise for RPA to facilitate digital modernization and expedite the overhauling of legacy systems. You know, a lot of our systems just in the, in the government, not just DOD, but in the federal government, um, they're, they're quite old. They're legacy systems, and, and there are a lot of issues with these systems in terms of uh, how to interface with them. You have all this evolving new technology now, cloud computing, uh, uh, AIML coming into the mix. Um, how do you seamlessly integrate this into these legacy IT systems? Um, I, I think it's a really, really hard problem to think about. Um, I think first and foremost, we have to think about you know, how do we expand these systems? How do we open them more up a little bit? What are the costs to do that? You know, from my experience, when I worked with other other agencies, um, it was very difficult to get data out of these systems, um, you know, because they're, they're closed systems. They have business analytic tools running on top of them, and there's no way to access the underlying database. So many times you end up doing uh, what's called a web scraping. You have to basically download the web page and get the feed and information off the web page. And if the if the structure of the web page changes, well, your your extraction of that data is not going to be any good. Um, and all of the data anyway behind the scenes is entered manually. So there's no automation involved. So even if you can automate the extraction to some degree, the data that you get may not be reliable. So there are a lot of infrastructure problems that you have to deal with. And you know, I think from the government perspective, our first issue is gonna be how do we tackle those most difficult problems? In looking at the interplay between workers and automation, Sudhir Gohl, Senior Solutions Architect at OptumServe, recognized that RPA is intended to make tasks easier rather than replace human input altogether. Our goal is not really to completely eliminate human-to-human interaction. I mean, what we are trying to do is 
um, more intelligently serve them yeah. uh, by uh, reducing the call time, uh, using, of course, AI, ML, machine language to kind of uh, more uh, try to solve. I mean, if we get uh, some emails or chats, uh, so, you know, we have some um, ways to kind of extract information and try to understand the problem before actually it gets to uh, uh, do an agent. So that agent is, I mean, because there's so many wide variety of problems uh, we face, uh, you know, the customers face, I mean, it could be any areas of our business. So it's important that when we get the human-to-human -human interface connected, that you have, they have a good understanding of what the problem might be and on what potentially, what type of information, what computer system we need to, the CSR has to access, you know, representative have to access to kind of uh, serve them better in the most efficient way and the fastest manner. So, I, I, you know, a lot of our bots are in that kind of respect uh, leveraging uh, the technology uh, to kind of get the understand the needs of that particular customer as best as possible. You know, voicemail is one thing. I mean, you have a voicemail of your chats or if you have emails. So, I mean, there's enough information out there to kind of to be able to extract some key things and give them, direct them to the right place. And that person also who's serving them is able to uh, have the right data access in front of them. Similarly, Drew Janik, the public sector industry practice leader at Bizagi, recognized that RPA is about workforce modernization rather than worker replacement. The reality of what we're seeing on the ground is actually somewhat different than that. It's it's that people are having to be retooled, retrained, and reshifted to do other things. Now, is it true there are some people that are unwilling to change, unwilling to shift with the, with the workforce change? Yeah, that's true. Uh, but this is very much like the the, you know, the first industrial revolution, right? When we, when we went through that, where um, essentially workforce shift did occur. Uh, are there some people that probably get left out of the cold event? Yeah, it probably happens here and there. But generally speaking, it's not because jobs went away. It's because jobs changed. And that's probably the most important aspect of this. So when we talk to clients and we're going through this, and uh, you know, Sheila kind of alluded to this earlier, um, organizational change management is key, right? Get your folks involved early, right? The folks that actually are doing this process today, get them involved with it, help them shape their future together with the process. Um, they're often, if you do it right, they're going to get excited because they know that they're going to be doing maybe not the tasks that that's really mentioned that they hate anymore. Uh, they're going to do something maybe more some more productive, something that takes more intelligence. Uh, they might even get some additional training depending upon their new role. So they, it can be a net plus. We have seen some clients manage this differently, uh, whether it's solely after you know reduction in force. Uh, and if you're going after reduction in force because you want to save money, um, there are also ways to do that without impacting the people involved. And what we do in, in those particular cases, and I've done this in three different organizations, three different times, uh, is that, um, yeah, okay, let's say you no longer need, you know, 15 people out of 500 or something, right? Uh, because you've gotten that much reduction in, in, in efficiencies and you realigned workforce. Uh, those kinds of things can be managed through attrition rather than actual job losses, right? Uh, and, and that requires, requires some creative thinking up front, and, and you can go through those pieces. But we're proud to say that, you know, most of the projects that I've ever been involved with, no one has lost their job. It's all been retooling, uh, retraining, and getting people involved in other sectors.
Sheila Conley, Deputy CFO at Health and Human Services, outlined how newly implemented automation within the Medicare program allowed applications to be processed and benefits allocated at a much faster rate. We in finance are really an admission support function. So we want to be able to provide analytic information and insights to our program people to help them run our programs better that then allow us to accomplish our mission. Um, I will give you one example of an area where uh, at our Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, uh, they run um, you know, very large programs. And a big part of uh, Medicare and cascading down to the Medicaid program is ensuring um, appropriate provider enrollment, that the, the providers that are carrying out uh, healthcare services are indeed um, the entities that need to be registered, that need to meet certain eligibility requirements, and uh, have a lot of information that needs to be accurate and timely. And so we've been applying RPA to the enrollment process across the country um, and realizing some very impressive results there uh, through the enrollment process uh, using RPA. We can validate provider information and bump that information, the registration information, against other databases maintained by GSA or our Inspector General's office and a variety of other places. And just to give you a quick snippet of some of the results we're seeing, whereas it used to take months for um, over a three-month period in some cases to enroll providers, that's now being reduced down to 10 to 15 days in some instances. So the, the impact, the benefit is really transformational. And again, having direct programmatic impact in terms of the assurances this provides to our overall program. Erica Thomas, the RPA program manager at the DOD, noted that all branches of the U.S. Armed Forces have already implemented RPA in some capacity. As of September, um, we have RPA deployed in all of the military departments and a decent number of our defense agencies as well. And I think the last count was over 240 deployed automations that were self-reported. We know that that's higher because that's voluntary data call. We know there's other groups out there that did not provide info, but I think it's, it really does show that it's gaining traction in DOD, which is a good thing. Dr. Ravi Thiagajaran, the S&T Portfolio Director at the Army Futures Command, recognize the future of strategic competition and force preparedness rests in part on mastering the usage of automation and artificial intelligence. From a technology perspective, I may sound, may sound nerdy with respect to Erica. Uh, some of the Army's primary uh, software investments are in the pursuit of uh, artificial intelligence, uh, um, uh, big data, uh, machine, machine learning, and autonomy development. So AI is generally viewed as, 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 as an important enabler for unmanned platforms to, to, uh, to operate autonomously in, in combined arms maneuver. Uh, for the Army, autonomous off-road mobility uh, in contested environments is probably perhaps the, the most challenging, uh, you know, challenge, challenge for us. John Walden, CTO for the Americas at Blue Prism, emphasize that workforce efficiencies within the U.S. defense community are just as vital as those within civilian agencies, and that RPA will help automate this significantly. 
When we look at things like national security, when we look at, you know, things like the DOD or all of these types of organizations, that quality of work is critical. Um, whether you're dealing with a munitions command, uh, where fields get dropped because people don't have time to fill them in, whether you're dealing with, you know, the, the HR systems in order to be able to get people paid, all of these things, it's critical across the board that the quality not be reduced in order to be able to try and satisfy the quantity of work needs. Um, when you begin to balance those, you recognize how important it is to have a digital workforce available to an organization, um, that how important it is for RPA to be able to be given the work in mass and then have the AI, especially that Ravi spoke about, available to question, to verify, to look at things, and whenever it ends up with a lower level of confidence, be able to run that back to a human for verification. Because ultimately, while the robot may be doing a lot more of the work, you have to have those checks and balances in place. You have to have that capability there. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope to see you at our upcoming Cloud Summit on November 19th. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Ryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.